Hey guys, welcome to the One and Done podcast, where it's all about young people being successful in business early in life. We're recording today from the Rollo Insurance Studio in College Station, Texas, and we're excited to have y'all with us today. All right, guys, welcome back to the latest episode of the One and Done. Uh, today we have Peyton Reed, who is um, a master. He has his master's in geophysics and undergrad in physics, uh, master's at University of Houston, and undergrad at San Angelo State University. Uh, he works in the geo geoscience space. Geoscience, geophysics, multiple yeah. hats. All the, all the stuff that deals with oil and gas and, um, I guess, predicting, right? Using using data to kind of figure all that stuff out. Yep, yep. Exploring for hydrocarbons. Yep, so whatever whatever that means. But he's on the show today. Um, Peyton, I think, unlike a lot of the people on the show, he is someone who is an example of how you use school to get where you want to be in life as far as the jobs you want and things like that. So, um, you know, not a salesman. We talked about that a little bit earlier. Doesn't have to, You have to have a little bit more than a high school degree to do what he does. Um, and I want to talk about that a little bit with him today. So, Peyton, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Absolutely. So uh, to start off, give everybody a little bit of an introduction about who you are, kind of, uh, you know, your, your story and um, where you're at right now. Sure. So I originally grew up out in West Texas and town uh, San Angelo. And that is part of the Permian Basin, which I'm sure many people have heard of. It's the largest producing basin in terms of oil and gas in North America. And so I grew up in the heart of the oil patch. And growing up, I liked rocks and I liked physics, I liked engineering. And so when I went off to school, I chose physics because there was a lot of routes that you could go from, from there. And luckily for me, my department was a combination of physics and geology. So I learned about geophysics early on saw how I could use that with my passion of uh, oil and gas and learning about Earth's, the, the, the physical world around us, of uh, earth science. And so I used that to propel myself into a master's program at geophysics at the University of Houston because really in the industry it's viewed as a master's as an entry level uh, into, into petroleum geology. So that's what I did. And I moved to Houston about five years ago and I've been pursuing oil and gas ever since. Absolutely. So, so how did you get into, uh, you know, the oil and gas industry in, in particular, you know, with your degree, there's probably some other different routes you could go. What made you want to go the oil and gas route? Sure. So there, right. There's several different routes you can go with geology, geoscience. There's a lot of government roles, a lot of environmental roles, uh, even roles in the renewable energy space, the mining space. So the reason I chose oil and gas was it's typically the one that pays the, the best. Um, if, if you want a job that you can come out, just oil and gas in general speaking, you come out with a high school diploma, go work on a rig. It's a long, tough hours, not an easy job, but you can make six figures uh, in some instances doing that sort of work. And so one aspect was the money, but also I really like oil and gas because if someone understands oil, I like this, uh, this phrase I, I stole, oil is the economy. And people don't understand that. If you actually were to plot up GDP growth versus oil consumption, it's about a 99% linear correlation, which means statistically, more oil we use, the more GDP, the more our economy will grow because it's the highest energy density source that's easily transportable, easily reliable. It's what drove the uh, Industrial Revolution in the in the early 1900s. Absolutely. So, Give everybody an idea kind of, of of what a day would look like with what you're doing. So, you know, kind of what you use your degree to get into. And we'll talk about that a lot more in a little bit. But kind of talk about what, what a day would look like uh, with what you're doing. Well, you know, technology has changed this role quite a bit over the years. Uh, 30, 40, 50 years ago, even 100 years ago, 
someone in my particular field would actually be going out into the field quite a bit, looking at outcrops of rock, measuring sections, and using those uh, measurements to make maps, to make cross-sections of geology to predict where oil and gas might would be. Today, with remote sensing, with geophysical technology such as seismic imaging, uh, well log analysis, we're now able to do most of that work from a computer. And so that's actually cut down on the number of man hours where it used to take you maybe a week to make one map. Now I can spit a map out in a couple of hours. And so a typical day for me is actually sitting in front of a computer, having some meetings, but working on data that's been acquired. Uh, there are times where you still go out into the field. You still have to go look at the rock. Sometimes we actually take a you know, core you know, a couple thousand feet down to the earth, and we have to go study that, look at that, and make interpretations from that. Still don't understand any of that. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I, it's, it's, it's such a different it's such a different way of thinking. You know, for me, I was like trying to stay away from every science that I could possibly stay away from in college. I think my, my two sciences were animal science and volleyball or something like that. But um, whenever, whenever you're, you know, whenever you're looking at all these things, I think it's interesting the correlation between, you know, you, we're using like the term data, right? So you're using what you would think of as, as more of a, uh, a math degree, right? The numbers you see, and then you're p- putting that with a science degree. Can you kind of talk about the relationship between the two and then kind of how that helps uh, your industry being the oil field? Right. So we live in the, we call it the digital transformation today. We used to be in this analog world where everything is on paper. So I was mentioning well log. A well log is basically a measurement down, down a, a well bore that may be 10,000, 20,000 feet long. And we got to put that all on a single piece of paper collapsed together you got to go through that manually looking at it Uh, whereas today it's digitalized and we're utilizing math big data uh, a big you know you hear the buzzwords today machine learning artificial intelligence deep neural networks basically with the uh, the advances in computer technology we're now able to have higher computing power to run different mathematical algorithms uh, to crunch big data sets and that's really what's propelled not only the oil and gas industry, which was one of the most data intense industries, but also big tech, uh, the pharmaceutical industry, financial industry. Everyone is going this route to where you really do need an understanding of mathematics, statistics, um, you know, the, the hard sciences and physics, chemistry, geology, biology. All of those are going to have some component or, or play um, in their respective fields using big data. Okay. Talk to me about some of the positives and negatives of, of your industry. You know, I've done this with a couple of other people and, you know, they're in sales, so their their answers are, are kind of unique. But kind of talk about what are the positives and negatives of, of your industry? Sure. Well, let's start with the negatives. If you're going to pursue a career in oil and gas, you have to understand that it's a commodity. And with any commodity, whether it's gold or silver, uh, coal or, you know, things that we consume, food products, there is supply and demand. And supply and demand are indicative of human behavior. And you cannot predict human behavior. So what does that mean? It means that there's going to be ups and downs. So you may have times where demand is really high, supply is short. So there's high demand for workers. uh, There's high demand for product. And companies are going to be booming and going. But there's a downside. We just went through the COVID-19, 2020. Hopefully we're coming out of that. But that decimated the oil and gas industry. Why? Because governments made people lock down. They're sitting at their homes. They're not driving their vehicles to work. We're not moving. That's why I say energy is the economy, because fundamentally energy is a reflection of how much work we are doing. 
and oil provides a means to do that work. One barrel oil equates to about four and a half years of human labor. So the downside there is if we're not moving, we're not doing stuff, well, guess what? We're not, we don't need oil. So it, it, the, the supply demand factor flips. And what do companies have to do? They have to lay people off. So it's volatile. It's cyclical. But that's one reason why they pay higher salaries. Pros, in my opinion, it's one of the most rewarding careers because, like I said, oil correlates to lifting people out of poverty. We still have over a billion people on this planet who don't have access to clean water, uh, electricity. And by bringing in hydrocarbons, we can alleviate them out of that poverty. It also just runs so deep when it comes to economics, geopolitics, so many wars that have been fought over oil and, and, and natural gas. So there's just such a broad array of where you can go in oil and gas from business, from finance, from law, to more of the hard sciences and engineering and geoscience of finding the oil and gas. Uh, I find it to be a very rewarding career, but it's not without its limitations and risks. Yeah, absolutely. So talk about the optics of it a little bit. I know you and I have talked about that a little bit, and I know that's something that, that we've talked about, um, especially as it relates to what they call it, like electric energy or whatever. What do they call it? Yeah, well, and you're hearing a lot about that today with the Biden administration. Uh, unfortunately, politics likes to skew science to fit whatever agenda they may have. Uh, I was saw, I think, a, a video on Netflix last night of someone basically predicting the doom and gloom regarding climate change. Well, I'll give you my two cents on it. Uh, does climate change exist? Does the climate change? Yes, we've observed that for a long time. Do humans have a role or effect in that? Maybe so, maybe not. They probably do to at least some extent. But the the loud environmental claims, we need to switch over to electric vehicles. We need to go all solar. We need to go all re renewable. FYI, there's nothing that's renewable. Everything's coming from either the, the sun or in the earth, uh, some sort of stored potential energy. But the reality is, even with electric vehicles, let's say we could switch everyone over, a consumer vehicle over to electric vehicle tomorrow. Well, we don't have the infrastructure to handle it, number one. But number two, we would still be using oil Probably we use about 100 million barrels before coronavirus. We'd still probably be using at least 70 to 80 million barrels. The reality is most people can't afford electric vehicle. If you look in the United States, Tesla accounts for about 70% of electric vehicles, which tells me that people who buy them are buying a luxury car because it's fun. And that's true. Teslas are cool. I'd love to own a Tesla. It's an awesome vehicle. <laughs> but it's not practical for the everyday average American. Most people don't have $60,000 laying around to go throw down on a, on a Model 3 with all the things that make it a Tesla. Uh, then you have the issue of driving uh, a, a car. You know, at max, they get a three 300 mile charge, and that's all souped up with their biggest battery. Uh, it varies based upon weather condition. And then the time it takes to charge it up, it takes a while. And you have to have the infrastructure at your home in order to do it. And we don't have a gas station where I can pull in, you know, every 10 miles and fill up in about three minutes. That's not an option right now with electric vehicles. So is there a space for them? Absolutely. Am I for them? Yeah, I'm, I'm for any technology uh, that can make energy cheaper, more reliable, uh, and available to more people. But the reality is solar and wind do not accomplish that at this point. Uh, take away their government subsidies. Uh, look at the environmental factors that they have. Wind turbines kill a lot of birds, and we're not just talking about crows. You have to talk about uh, your more rare birds, such as a bald eagle, for example. You have to talk about how do you recycle those large wind turbines after they are uh, done. They usually have a 20 to 30 year lifespan. Uh, what do you do with all, all of that, that material? 
And so it's a very complex issue and politicians make it way, way too, too surface level and go to extremes with it. And uh, typically as with most things, most things there's a radical middle that people need to come back to. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's probably where most people should be living, but sadly it's not where most people live right now. So, you know, they give us a background about what you do on a day-to-day basis, your industry, those kind of things. I want to talk a little bit more about, about you and what you did specifically kind of using school and, and being competitive to kind of set yourself apart. So as we get kind of going in this section, do you hate to lose or you love to win? Well, I love to win. I mean, who likes losing? It's not fun. So you're motivated by winning more than losing? Yeah. I mean, well, I, I think that's a double-edged sword, right? Yeah. I'm motivated to win. I'm also motivated not to lose. Yeah, right. Uh, a, a good example of that was, you know, I knew when I went to graduate school at the University of Houston, if you want to land an oil and gas job, you have to have an internship. Well, who are they hiring for internships? It's a down market. Well, they're hiring people with experience. Well, that's why you need an internship is to get experience. Right. So it kind of puts you in a catch catch uh, 22. So what did, what did I do? Well, there was a competition called the Imperial Barrel Award. It's basically a, a eight-week competition. They give you a data set from the industry, and you work through that data set, present it before an industry panel of judges. So I got on the IBA team for the University of Houston. This was back in 2017. And I basically looked at this competition and said, this is how I'm going to get real-world experience, and we need to win this so that I can get exposure so I can land a job. So I essentially led that team uh, to beat out about 180 other universities around the world, and we won the entire international competition that year. And that gave me a lot of interviews afterwards, uh, companies like Chevron and Hess, ExxonMobil. And so I, I, I made it that goal in order to get exposure. Another thing that I did was I went to conferences and networked, and I basically went up to smaller companies and said, listen, I want experience. You don't even have to pay me. Can I have an internship? You don't even have to pay me. And I had one company said, yeah, I think we w- would do that. Now, they ended up paying me a little bit, but that's how I got an internship over a summer right. between my two years in graduate school. So, you know, it's a combination of one, doing things that are going to set you up on your resume. And I was doing that way before graduate school. You know, back in, in high school, I was doing things to try to set me apart, such as getting an Eagle Scout. Uh, but secondly, networking. You know, the old saying, it's not about what you know, who you know. Mm-hmm. That's very true. People need to understand, that, especially young people, get out of your comfort zone and go talk to people and network. Yeah, and I think I think what you said there is very impressive. You know, going to the company and saying, "Hey, you don't have to pay me; just give me an internship." Right? Like you're, they probably had paid internships. I'm assuming, right? And so what you're doing is you're trying to go to them and give them an offer that they can't refuse to take you because you know at the end of the day that's going to look really good on your resume. I mean, that's kind of what you just said about getting out of your comfort zone. I bet most people would not even think of doing that. And that little that little decision you made made sure you got an internship, made sure that it looks good on your resume. And then it kind of, you know, boosted you from there. So very competitive. What motivates you to be successful? You know, uh, to, to me, there's there's multiple reasons to be successful. Uh, I, I will say before that, well, let me back up. There's people in my industry who, you know, they're 30 years. And if you ask them what defines them, they'll say, well, I'm a geophysicist. Well, I am a geophysicist. That's my occupation. But it's not what defines me. At the end of the day, what defines me is my faith in Jesus Christ. And so... All of my decision, all of my desire to be successful comes back to answering my two, my two main goals in life, uh, getting to heaven and taking as many people with me as possible. So it all ties back to how can I better serve him? And one of my big motivating factors for going into the hard sciences and, and geosciences is because there's a lot of skeptics out there who look at Christianity and they say, well, science has disproven God. And I don't agree with that sentiment. 
And so I wanted to be an advocate, someone who is in the hard sciences, went through the public education, uh, got the degree, studied under the secular professors, but still held on to my faith and could still be a vocal advocate. The other line, I would just say this, people who say they don't want to make money, well, money is a good thing if it's used correctly. I grew up in a, in a household with a dad who's a financial advisor, a brother who's a financial advisor. And so being in control of money was something very important to me. I had some big influences in my life. For example, there was a, an older couple. You could meet them on the side of the street. You'd have no idea how much money they were worth. But they viewed all that money that they had, and they said, you know what, this money, this money belongs to God. We want to be good stewards of that money for God. And so there's a motivation for me is I want to make a lot of money, not because I'm really interested in, in you know, having a boat on, on a lake house and, and some fancy car. I love to give money away. That's one of the best things you can do with money. And so having a lot of money to be in control of that money to help others, I think I think that's a beautiful thing, and that's what really motivates me. Absolutely. I mean, that, that'll uh, get you out of bed every single day, no matter if it's a good day or a bad day. So talking about, you know, separating yourselves from others, right? So we know, we know who you are. We know what motivates you. We know about your industry. Separating yourself from others around you, right? And you gave an example earlier about the unpaid internship. Um, and that, and that, you know, and that's, I think those kinds of things that are different. That's what separates people is do, going outside of the normal, doing something different than everyone else. But talking about school for just a second, what did you do in school that separated you from other people around you? Getting the same degrees, same master's programs. So, you're constantly looking for things that can separate you and make you distinct. When I was an undergrad, um, I did things such as being in the honors program. Okay, that's another distinction that you can get. Uh, I did things such as leading the Society of Physics students. I was the vice president of that one year. It's another dis distinction. Um, I did a research internship at Texas A&M over one summer studying lithium-ion batteries for electric vehicles. It's another thing that separated me. That was the best education you got through all of the years. Yeah, at Aggie Education. <laughs> um, no, at Texas A&M is a great school. Um, but, but it was always looking for something extra that I could do to distinguish myself. I did extra research projects uh, that were not required in my degree plan. I went and presented a poster, one best poster at, at a conference using that. Just little things that will build up over time. Uh, like I said, with IBA, the internship in, in graduate school, um, going out and networking. But I will say one thing that I think does separate me from a lot of people is I try and whoever I meet to always be upfront, honest, and show people that what defines me are my Christian values and I have a high moral integrity. And so if, if people know that I have a high moral integrity, they'll see, wow, this is someone that I can trust. Uh, for example, on my resume, I have on there on interest that I preach and I like to do mission work. Some people would say, well, you may not want to do that. We live in a pretty polarized climate today. Uh, someone may not like that. Well, if someone doesn't like that, I probably don't want to work for that person. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think that's a, that's a great example of, of something that a lot of times I think you see younger people trying to build their resumes based on what they're taught maybe in school, whether it's high school, college, you know, a career fair they went to to build their LinkedIn. And I think that one of the best things that you can do is to uh, build it true to who you are and whatever those values are and whatever is important to you. And like you said, you're going to, you're going to attract the right kind of person to you, uh, for, for a job or, or if you're hiring people, the right kind of employees. I think that's something that we've seen over the last 12 months, right? The people who are willing to stand up for what they believe in, 
um, they're going to have the right kind of people around them because they're going to have the same kind of people who believe in the same things they do. What makes somebody successful in your industry early on? Early on, I would say getting getting your name out there. Uh, that can be in terms of presenting your research. If you're still in grad school, getting into that first internship, get some name exposure, build your resume a little bit. Uh, that that's that's going to be your two predominant things: is your research, what you do, getting that out there, and then landing that first internship. I want to talk about I want to talk about your internship uh, just a little bit more because. When I think a lot of people think of internships, and, and the whole reason for this podcast is to make sure people understand earlier in their careers what they want to do, so that way they get uh, internships that are actually meaningful to them. That way they can start learning about the careers, and that way by the time they graduate from college or graduate with a master's degree, they actually know what they're going to do. And I think you're a good example of someone who, who you know ha- who had that path, right? Well, let, let me give you an example that I networked and actually was able to get an internship that I normally probably wouldn't have uh, with another company that that was kind of related to oil and gas, but not directly. They did a lot of uh, bathymetry mapping, seafloor sonar mapping type type of stuff, which was related to my research at the time. Um, But I decided to decline that offer, which actually paid more because the other one was more directly related to oil and gas in the field that I was trying to go to. Yeah. And I was trying to set myself up. Yeah. And so I think, you know, people, people a lot of times look at internships and they're just trying to find maybe they, they're trying to find their job through their internship instead of, I think, finding their job through research before they pick an internship and using the internship to get ahead. And I think you're a good example of somebody who's done that. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, using your internship to get ahead because you actually knew what it was, what it was that you were wanting to do. So you went to this, to do this internship paid less, but it was at least in the oil and gas industry. What did you learn during that, that you took to, to, you know, job applications right. or your first job? Before I answer, a very important thing your listeners may like like to hear this. I was told this um, early on. If there's a company that you're wanting to work for, go look at where that company predominantly hires from, what universities, what schools, where are they recruiting from. A lot of people don't think about doing that, even at the high school level. Right? You're just getting your bachelor's engineering, let's say. Yeah, you just pick a college like your parents went to or that you, yeah. that you like. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's the thinking of most, most people. But Or that has the biggest network of... In Texas A&M, right? That's one of the largest universities in, in the nation. You know, get that Aggie ring, and that opens a lot of doors, for Absolutely. sure. Um, my internship that I did, so in oil and gas, you typically have the operators that are the ones who drill and produce the oil, and then you have the service side. And that'd be companies like Halliburton, Schlumberger, Baker Hughes, who are helping the operators do the drilling, collecting data, that sort of thing. And so the company that I actually interned with was a, on the service side. And I was working on processing seismic data, which seismic data, basically that's imaging the earth, kind of like ultrasound, looking at babies, what geophysicists do with the earth. And it was processing that data uh, and then doing some things to kind of enhance and better predict with that data. It was aligned with things that I would do with an operator, which is what I was really going for. uh, But it wasn't directly looking for oil and gas like you would with an operator. Um, and so in that internship, I was building skills that would be foundational and broaden my knowledge to have a successful career with an operator, but they weren't necessarily a straight one-to-one correlation in terms of usage. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as we start to kind of, you know, bring it to a close, I want to talk to you a little bit about business too, because, you know, like you mentioned earlier, your dad, your dad's in business, right? Your yep. brother's in business. You have a lot of business experience 
on to go on top of, of what you do on you know which might not really be seen as white collar that's another thing this podcast is trying to do is to bring people um, jobs that they can be interested in that are still in the business realm they're white collar uh, jobs and you know I mean when you think of that there's like four things you think of right banking uh, real estate financial advisor you don't really think of uh, you know geophysicists so talking about kind of your background but also the background uh you know growing up in a family that talked about business and how important it is to get acclimated to you know the business mindset early on well if you want to look at a survey of millionaires across North America what are those jobs that those those millionaires have your average everyday millionaire couple million dollars saved up in their investments for retirement they're typically a small business owner so business is crucial but I would say business, understanding simple business practices is crucial even for your everyday life uh, and just personal finance. For example, uh, many people are living paycheck to paycheck. I'll tell you that is something that I said I do not want to have any part to do with. Uh, living on a written budget every month, something a lot of people do not do. Uh, my wife and I have a practice. We have a written budget. We both know this is what we're spending in these categories. This is what we're putting in savings. Having an emergency fund. Okay, a lot of people, you know, if, if they had a, a car wreck, something that cost $1,000, that's a big panic. They'd have to go finance it, take on more debt. Uh, debt is not a way that you build wealth, okay? If you study millionaires, people who actually make it, they didn't get there by charging up their credit cards $30,000, $50,000. They didn't get it by taking out these huge auto loans. They didn't get it by buying a house two or three, four times their income and living on debt for 30-plus years, that's not how you build wealth. If you want to build wealth, uh, live below your means, save money away, and invest. Those are plain, simple business strategies that you would apply on an individual basis and that you would apply on a business basis. Absolutely. So I got to ask you, uh, Dave Ramsey guy? Dave Ramsey has a lot of great principles. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I'll just be honest. I have a credit card. Yeah. I pay it off every month. Yeah, and absolutely. It's a, it's a right. luxury item to have credit. There's a difference in bad debt and good debt. Right. So uh, especially especially in the business world. So um, kind of as we as we finish up, talk about where you see yourself 10 years from now. Right. As you as you start to age out of the one the one and done area, as we all as we all will pretty soon. Talk about where you see yourself and um, what you've done over the last six years as far as school. And then the last three years as far as work that set you up for the next 10. Right. Well, it'll be a big question mark is what, what does the oil industry do going forward? Uh, for one, the oil industry has been, you know, crucially hit. A lot of jobs have, have left the market. And right now there's a big, what you call ESG investing, right? Uh, environment, social governance, uh, basically this idea that, you know, we should be investing in solar and wind and less in fossil fuels and banks turning away. So what is that going to do oil price? What is that going to do to demand of jobs? I don't know what I try to do is keep a diverse skill skill set. Uh, always keep learning, always keep reading, always enhancing new skills. And so, for example, understanding economy, understanding how to, how to work with big data, those are transferable skills that I can use outside of oil and gas should I need to transfer to, say, to, to something in the finance industry or more of a uh, big tech industry doing data analytics. So where am I in 10 years? Uh, some sort of professional role continuing to, to press onward and upward where that may be. Uh, we'll see. We'll see where things go. Absolutely, man. Well, Peyton, we appreciate you coming on the show today. 
And uh, as always, guys, looking forward to the next episode.